telling you now, do you believe that God can transform our lives? That God transforms our lives? I believe in transformation. I really do. I mean, look at these jeans I'm wearing. I want to show you real life transformation, church. When I bought these, there's history behind these jeans. When I bought these, they were 22-inch bell bottoms. And then Faye got hold of them. Put them in the wash. Look at them now. I mean, they're tighter than hers. This, this was a jumper. It had long sleeves. Serious. Until Faye put it in the washer and the dryer. Tell you. Transformation is a real thing. It really is. God transforms our lives. And even we transform one another's lives in different ways. But uh, do you know what? I am so grateful. I am so grateful as you are to the grace and the mercy and the love of God. It's unending in its, in its application to our lives. It's wonderful what it does. It's not just a theory. It's not just a formula. It's not just a song that we sing. It has very real life implications on a daily basis for every single one of us. Paul, talking about God, calls him the God of all grace. He's the God of all grace. And not only does he identify God as the God of all grace, he tells us about the riches of God's grace towards us who believe who are in Christ Jesus. This God of all grace wants to exhibit the glory of his grace in our lives. And that has wonderful life application and consequence for every single one of us. Now, this week, I want us to begin to look at the book of Ephesians. And then next week, we've got a, we've, the, the whole service is taken up by the prison ministries. We're going to have a great morning as they take the service. But over the, over the weeks ahead, as I speak to you, we are going to focus on the letter to the Ephesians. And we're going to be looking at one word a number of words, but one word in particular as we begin to look at this letter, the letter to the Ephesians, and it's the word accepted. Accepted. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul talking about God, he says that he has made us accepted in the beloved. You have been made, I have been made accepted in the beloved. And Paul concludes that we've been made accepted in the beloved as a result of the glory of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus. That is the result. That is the outworking of God's grace. You've been accepted in the beloved. This word accepted is a very important word. And when we think about being accepted in the beloved, we have to ask ourselves a very important question. And the question is this, can you accept that you have been made accepted in Christ? Can you accept it? Can you accept that you are accepted? 
Paul didn't say to the Ephesians church, as you read through this letter, he didn't say, right now, church, you've got to ready yourself to make yourselves acceptable to God. You've got to work harder. You've got to strive for this. You've got, to, you've got to go through your rigors of spiritual discipline. You've got to read more. You've got to pray more. You've got to fast more. Come on, church. You've got to do this. You've got to make yourself acceptable to God. No, Paul, in one word, announces that we have been made accepted and acceptable to God in Christ Jesus. You haven't got to try to gain your acceptance Your acceptance has already occurred instantaneously the moment that you place faith in the grace of God, which is in Christ Jesus. His provision for your life in that moment, instantaneously, you were made acceptable to God in Christ. This is what the writer talks about to the Hebrews. And he says, because we've been made acceptable, he concludes that we can enter the very presence of God boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Only people that have accepted, that they've been accepted, have such confidence. Are you confident when you stand before God? You can be when you've accepted the fact that you've been made acceptable to God. This wonderful line, this wonderful statement, revelation that Paul opens his letter with brings so many amazing conclusions for our lives and consequences when you realize that you have been made acceptable and when you accept that you are accepted, guilt has to go. Shame cannot have any place in your life anymore. You're accepted. Forgiveness is a powerful reality. Peace is a present security that you live in. No more worry, no more anxiety. Those enemies that stalk and have stalked the church of God generation after generation no longer have place when a believer, when a child of God stands on the word of God and the declaration that has come from heaven, accept, you're accepted, church. It has amazing consequences for our lives. This is the glory of His grace. This is the practical outworking of it all. This acceptance has no classification. Rich and poor alike find their acceptance before God, not based on their materials, on their material possessions, but based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection to justify us. Rich and poor alike are accepted. There is no classification. Weak and strong, let them come. Young and old, all find their place as they simply believe and place their faith in what God has done through Christ Jesus. And we're going to look at this over the weeks to come. This word accepted and other words 
that bring great blessing because this word in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 doesn't just stand alone. It's rooted and linked to many, many other words that Paul uses in this great letter. And it's the culmination of many other words that go before it, such as grace, salvation, forgiveness, justification, sanctification, holiness, righteousness, adoption, and many, many other words that Paul uses. Great theological truths and statements about our lives that we might not understand, but they're all linked into and become the foundation of this one word accepted in the beloved. They all go before this word to make it what it is. And over the weeks, we'll look at some of these words maybe and try to explain them. Today, I want us to maybe not look at this word specifically. We're going to do that on beyond next week. But I want to give you a simple overview to the book of Ephesians by way of introducing this word. The letter to the Ephesians is an amazing letter. Not only is it deeply spiritual, that's wonderful, but also it's extremely practical. There's an amazing balance in this letter, in these writings that Paul gives us of spirituality and practicality. They both go hand in hand. And when you examine the book of Ephesians textually, what you discover is two halves. The first three chapters deals with a very graphic spiritual picture. And the last three chapters deal with a very raw, rugged, practical picture. It has two halves. And the simple outline and framework to this book would be this, the first three chapters of Ephesians portrays our position spiritually in Christ Jesus. For instance, Paul tells us, and you'll remember this, this verse and these words well, he tells us that we have been seated in heavenly places. That's in the first three chapters. You find that phrase, seated in heavenly places. It's what commenters call Positional truth. But then, to balance that positional truth, in the latter three chapters, Paul focuses on a practical outworking of being seated in Christ. He admonishes the church to stand, and having done all to stand, remain standing. Seated in heavenly places. That's our position spiritually but standing and remaining strong and faithful in our stance on earth is the raw, rugged reality in real-time, day-to-day life. It's not just a huge spiritual exegesis of where we are in Christ. It has very real, practical application to our lives and the way we live. Let me give you some more contrasts about this book as we introduce it and as we think about it. In Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, Paul teaches the church about their spiritual wealth. 
Do you know you're wealthy? Do you know you're rich beyond measure? Do you know it's an affront for us to ever think that we're poor? You're the richest people on the planet. You say, but Dave, I haven't got much in the bank. Well, neither have I. But in God, the account is full. In God, the account is abundant. In God, there will never, ever be any withdrawal, any any overdrawn syndrome. The account is full. The account is abundant. You're rich beyond measure. And in the first three chapters, Paul is showing us and showing the church at large that we are wealthy, wealthy beyond measure. Ephesians 1 verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You're rich, church. You're abundant. You can't look at your life. I can't look at my life in a disheveling way any longer with a poverty mindset. We have to appropriate this. We have to believe this. But then, to balance it. So he tells us we're spiritually wealthy in Christ Jesus in the first half of the book. But then to balance it through chapters 4 to 6. He concentrates on how spiritually wealthy people walk and conduct themselves in life. He takes it from the spiritual, and again now he brings it down into practical living. Ephesians 4 verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Let me tell you, How spiritually wealthy people walk. That's what he's saying. Let me reveal to you how spiritually wealthy people conduct themselves and live with all lowliness of mind. That's how a wealthy person walks. With lowliness of mind. Not proud. Not arrogant. Not strong. Lowliness of mind and with gentleness and long-suffering. These are the realities of the wealth that you have in Christ. It enables you not to be proud, but to be lowly. It enables you to be gentle and not forceful. It enables you to be patient and long-suffering and not quick-tempered. Bearing with one another in love. Do you know what that means? When somebody gets on the wrong side of you, you don't just cut them off. You don't just walk away from the relationship. You bear with them. This is what Paul is saying. You know, he could, he could have just ranted on and just preached and said, Hey, listen. Do you know what? You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus and never touched the practicals of day-to-day living. But do you know what? He preached the whole counsel of God. He says, yes, we are blessed with, with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, but that has to be translated into real life situations. We'll see if you're blessed. 
When you want to be proud, we'll see if you're blessed with every spiritual blessing, when you want to strike back and you need to be gentle. These are real things that Paul deals with in this amazing letter. Through chapters, through the first three chapters, Paul reveals this beautiful picture of the believer's position before God. He says, God has made us accepted in the beloved. That's spiritual. That's a positional truth that can never change for all eternity. Your faithfulness, your unfaithfulness cannot change it. Your success or your failure in life cannot remove what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Whether you're up, whether you're down, you have been made acceptable. It's not, you're not accepted on the basis of how you behave. You're accepted on the basis of his goodness and the splendor of his grace flowing into your life. As a result of what Christ Jesus has done, Paul here in these first three chapters is painting an immense spiritual picture about our position before God. You're accepted. But then he begins to concentrate on how this acceptance has to be worked out in our lifestyle. In the latter part of the letter, Paul emphasizes Again, that we're to walk in love, live sacrificial, and diffuse a sweet-smelling aroma to others and to God. Ephesians 5 verse 1 to 2 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and Given and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Can you see how this, how this letter is perfectly balanced, perfectly even, dealing with spiritual truths in a wonderful way in the first three chapters? but then dealing with the practicals of day-to-day -day living and how those spiritual truths come into our life experience in the latter part of the letter. The first three chapters of Ephesians is about the privileges that we have in Christ Jesus as a result of his saving grace, as a result of what God has done, as a result of, of his plan and his eternal purpose towards us. But the latter part is about the empowerment of this grace moving through our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, shaping our choices, overcoming our circumstances, and enabling us to live the life that God has designed for us to live. In the first part of the book, oh, you're going to love this one. I love this one. It's my favorite one. Paul says this, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. How many times have we been reliant on that to lift our hearts? How many times have we believed that when the obstacles are lining up in life? My God 
can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. But then he brings it down to earth again in the second half of the letter by saying, speak the truth. My God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think through the power that works within me. Speak the truth. Don't lie. That's what he says. Speak the truth. Then he says, don't lie. But Paul, we want to live there up in the heavenlies. Paul, we want to cast our mind on the spiritual. Paul, this revelation that you're giving... It's so euphoric. It's so wonderful. It's almost out of the body. No. You're in the body. Speak the truth. Don't lie. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Stop stealing. He's speaking to church folk now. <laughs> Stop putting your hand in the, in, the, in the offering box, you little tinker, and nicking money. Because you want a Greg's pasty. Do you know good? That pasty? If you want a Greg's pasty, come and ask one of us. We'll give you the money. You haven't got to nick any money from the collection. It's an old word, that is collection. From the collection. Stop stealing. Then he says this. Listen. Don't let bad, bad language come out of your mouth. Hallelujah to that one. <laughs> now stop it now. Don't let bad language come out of your mouth. Hey, listen. Before you turn your head and look at your brother or your sister. <laughs> my goodness. I ain't pointing the finger at nobody. Because I know the language that comes out of my mouth. And sometimes it's not good, especially when I'm on my little bike, dressed in my latex, and one of those cars goes whizzing past me, a bit too close. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you some of the words I say? <laughs> I would. <laughs> Let's say it's corrupt communication. That's what Paul calls it. But you see, I would, for me... I would just want to dismiss that, lift my hands in the air and praise God and, you know, sing wonderful songs and look like I look with my tight jeans on, right? And lots of times we detach the spiritual from the practical, but Paul will have none of it. He'll have none of it. He says, listen, it's wonderful what God has done. Now let's see it outworked in our lives. And Paul wasn't perfect. He was just directing the church and challenging the church to be fruitful. Because the first half of the book of Ephesians is all about your roots. And the second half of the book of Ephesians is about the fruit from, which the, from, from, from the roots. First three chapters concentrates on our privileges. 
the last three chapters concentrates on the outworking and the practice of those privileges. The first half of Paul's letter, you see it, his eyes are in the eternities of God. His eyes and his mind is captured by a vision whereby we are the recipients in eternity of endless grace, God's riches towards us, not only on this earth, but in an endless way, in an eternal way. And his vision is there in the eternity where we are the recipients of wonderful grace lavished on us in Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 7, Paul declares that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ. I'm telling you, beyond this world, beyond this earth, awaits us, oh, awaits us an eternity of blessing, an eternity of endless grace in Christ Jesus and Paul sees it Paul reveals it but then in the latter part of the letter he doesn't leave us enraptured in eternity he brings us right back down and he's beginning to give direction to husbands and wives about their attitudes towards one another Oh, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And this, again, is for all of us. Not just one, but for all of us. He says, Ephesians 5, 22 to 28, were Ives, sir, sir, uh, what, what's that say? What's he say, and? Oh, no, no. Were, were Ives? I, I, I tell you what. I wasn't very good in school. I, I mean, I haven't done bad up until now, but. Were Ives? Wives, submit to your husbands. There you go. There it is. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And all the wives said, Hallelujah, Jesus. Why? Listen, I'm only having a joke. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. I tell you, listen, guys, this runs, this runs in the face of culture. This is an affront to the culture and the feministic society we live in. They'd want to rip it out. I'm telling you, man. But if you want to do it God's way, and if we want to get blessing, and this isn't, this isn't directed to wives, it's equally as directed to husbands as we'll see. But it runs in the face of the culture and the time in which we live. Wives, submit to your husbands, your own husbands, as to the Lord. That's right. Submit to your own husbands. He's very clear. He doesn't leave. I tell you now, man. My God, we better not go there. <laughs> Woohoo! It's amazing the revelation that you get in church, isn't it? 
as the Holy Spirit applies his light. Never forget that. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Listen, Christ has never abused his church. And no husband should ever abuse his wife. I'm telling you, if the, if the husband is doing a correct job, the wife will readily submit. Readily submit. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. There it is again. Look, own husbands in everything. Husbands, now here, listen. Husbands love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I'm telling you the standard for husbands is higher than the standard is for the wives. Lay your life down as Christ laid his life down for the church. That's what Paul is saying. Paul, can't we go back to the picture in eternity where we're receiving endless grace? Yeah, we can. But in light of that wonderful grace that's to occur in eternity for all time and forever... We should be able to have loving relationships with one another. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, there's care, there's love, there's attention to detail that Jesus gives to his church. It's, it's off the scale. And Paul is painting the same picture and pointing out to husbands how to be to their wives as he uses Christ in his service to the church. We're not going to get it right, guys. We're going to make mistakes there's going to be lot. This, this, you know, we we all know that that marriage is a constant work, a constant work. That we love each other, that we accept each other, that we submit to each other. But I'm telling you, with Jesus at the centre of it, you can walk on through and be everything that He's called you to be as a married couple. You really can. So, husbands ought to love their own wives. He uses that word own again. Own wives. I don't know why God's bringing this up this morning, but there could be a reason. Your own wife, your own husband. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So Paul doesn't just focus and this is what I wanted to emphasize by way of introduction this morning to the book of Ephesians. Paul just doesn't emphasize the spiritual. Paul equally balances that by bringing it down into the practicals of daily life, daily living. Amazing grace. Yeah, amazing grace. Now let's see that outwork in our lives. In the challenges that we face. 
after he talks to husbands and wives, he talks to children. Any children here? Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's right. Now, you children, listen up good. Listen now. We got the young people in here this morning. Listen up good. Listen now to the Word of God. Because this is the Apostle Paul speaking to you. He doesn't just speak to mums and dads. He speaks to the children. He says this, Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. Now listen, there's a reason. Why are you to honor your father and mother? This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Young people, look at me a minute. You young people, Daniel, look at me a minute. Would you like to live a long life? The answer is yes. Okay, I'll give you a little clue, right? Would you like to live a long life? Yeah, they got it right. Come on, let's give them a round of applause. Well, if you want to live a long life, according to the Bible, honor, listen, honor your father and mother that it might go well with you. What does that mean? Speak well of mum and dad. In school, out of school, respect them. Do you know what? Let, young people, look at me. Look at me. Look at me a minute. I'm going to give you a bit of advice now. Right? Get off your phones. Turn them off. Right? Just look. Look here. Because I'm going to help you to live a long life, to be prosperous and successful. Listen, 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 listen. I'm not telling you off. I'm in instructing you and guiding you. Do you know if you curse your mother and father? You know if you speak against your mother and father? It won't go well with you. If you speak well of mum and dad, you'll have a long life, a good future, and you'll be successful. Listen, don't listen to other young people that curse their mother and father. Walk away from them. Just a little side note. There we go. That's that one done. Amen. I always want to speak to young people. <laughs> then after, I'm going to ask the musicians to come. This is just an introduction today to this wonderful letter. I tell you, my God, if we listen to the word of God, we're going to be blessed. We really are. It's, protect, it's, protect, it's protective. It embraces us. It corrects us. Please, I'm, I'm not trying to be, to be cocky or, or um, you know, ungracious when I speak to the young people. But it's very important. It's very important. There were times in my life... And my mum's here this morning where I didn't honor my mother and father and face the consequences for it. I'm telling you, it's better to obey the word of God and learn it when you're young 
so that life may go well and you may be strong. That's what it's there for. After he talks to husbands and wives and children, he tells fathers not to cause their children to become angry. Do you know this has caught me a number of times? And my children will be able to tell you about some of the times where I failed in this. Sometimes I've made my children angry. Paul says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't make them angry. Sometimes I've made my children angry as a father, and the Holy Spirit has pulled me up. And do you know what he's told me to do? In fact, many times, and you can ask him. Many times I've had to go to my children in their room and say, do you know what, Daddy, sorry. I am sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I've done. In order to come back in line, in order to correct what I've done, what I've said, I've had to go to my children because I've exasperated them or I've led them to a place of frustration and anger. That's wrong. This guidance is for all of us. At every level, at every stage, after he talks to the fathers, the children, he talks to employers and employees. You see, these truths go into every area of our life. They extend into all of our living. Paul, in the first three chapters, talks about this wonderful grace that we've received, the fact that we've been made acceptable in the beloved. But all of that spiritual blessing and all of that wonderful picture has to have a practical day-to-day outworking in our lives. And that's why in the latter part of the book, he deals so thoroughly with these practical issues. Over the next weeks, after next week, we're going to continue on by looking at that word accepted. Then we're going to look maybe at some other words that are linked and are foundationary to that wonderful place of acceptance in God, very simply. And it's going to enrich us. But the the question today that I want to leave with you, and I want you to, 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 to go over in your mind is this, can you accept that you've been accepted? Can you accept that you have been accepted? There's a way that you can test yourself. There's a way that you can test yourself when you go from this place, when you you go to a quiet place today. In your time before the Lord, you can test yourself if you truly do accept that you have been accepted. Does guilt still have a hold of you and shame? Then maybe it could be that you've got to enter into accepting that you've been accepted. Are you still fearful? Do you still hold on to things in the past when issues come up in front of you and face you again? You just go into default as before and you rail in anger and and you say the same old thing and you repeat those old hurtful lines that you've always repeated. What is it? It's an acceptance issue. The moment that you accept 
that you've been accepted in the beloved. You're understanding that you're loved now as the beloved. As much as the beloved is loved, you are loved. Can you accept that you've been accepted? We're going to look at this through the weeks to come and the words surrounding it that enable us to arrive at our acceptance. We're going to look at it. Today was just an introduction into this wonderful, wonderful letter that Paul gives us. But I want to pray right now. And maybe you're here today and you've heard some of the things that have been spoken. Maybe a line from a song has touched your heart. And you realize, oh, if I only had this relationship with God through Jesus Christ as my Savior. Do you know what? You don't have to wait another moment. You don't have to let another day go by. There is such riches of grace that God wants to pour into your life. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You have to simply embrace it by faith and trust in what He's done for you. I'm going to pray. And maybe you'd like to pray, repeat this prayer in your heart with me quietly. And by praying, you're just going to simply place your faith in Jesus to be your Savior. Maybe you haven't prayed this prayer. Or maybe today you feel estranged from God. You feel far away. Hey, listen, there is no distance between you. You've been made accepted in the Beloved. And today you come into that place again where you are going to accept that. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for everybody here under the sound of my voice today. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would accept that we have been made acceptable in the Beloved before you. Thank you that deals with guilt, it deals with fear, it deals with shame, it deals with all of the voices that would jump up and shout from our past. Lord, I thank you that this acceptance means that all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that is struggling with their acceptance before you because of something they've done or something that's been done to them. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, on hearing this word, they would appropriate, by, appropriate it by faith and your Holy Spirit would carry it and work it and we would see this transformation that you desire for our lives. And I pray, Lord, for those under the sound of my voice that want to receive Jesus into their heart. Pray this prayer with me right now, quietly. And then we're going to sing. Say this quietly. Something is going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come to live in your heart by faith. Jesus is going to become your Savior. Pray this. Say, Jesus, right now, I ask you to save me. Set me free from sin. Make me brand new in you. I believe you died for me 
I believe you rose from the dead. I believe that you are my Savior. I ask you to come into my life. Amen. Amen.